Amen. Amen. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We kind of tackled the first half of the chapter last week. And we're going to keep cruising through here. And so I thought we'd just start by reading verses 1 through 14. Let's, let's go through this here. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1 says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth and all the saints who are in the whole of Acacia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer. Wasn't that a great testimony from Ernie and Anne-Marie? We helped them by prayer. Paul says, you must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Verse 12, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge. And I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of Jesus, you will boast of us as we boast of you. And I'll pick it up in verse 15. He says this, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. Because I was sure of this, Paul says. Sure of what, Paul? Sure of the testimony of his conscience. Uh, sure of the testimony of his conscience. Now, we spent some time yapping about this this week, but I want to just, uh, last week, I, but I want to just touch on it again so we remember where we left off. Paul said this about his conscience, that his ministry was done in simplicity. In simplicity. That means with sincerity, with mental honesty. It means that, the virtue of his life was one that was free from pretense and hypocrisy. There was an openness. There was not this self-seeking nature, but he was a man of service and he was generous in his heart towards the Corinthians. And we talked about that last week that that is the heart of Christianity, that there should be a simplicity about our lives before the Lord. But not only a simplicity, a godly sincerity, Paul says. You know, as much as you might think my conscience uh, might testify something else, it says this. My conscience says this, Paul says. You accuse me of whatever, but my conscience says this. 
that there's a likeness to God in my sincerity. That's a pretty powerful thing to be able to say about your conscience and about your sincerity. I, I, ha- I have a good buddy in the Lord and I got into a bit of a thing with him this week. We were yapping about some stuff and I was questioning his sincerity after all the things that we had talked about this week. And then I came back to this passage and I thought, oh, I did it, man. I didn't trust his sincerity. Here's my friend and we're, we were wrestling through some stuff. But Paul says this, I was sincere and in my sincerity, I was like Christ, God-like. And I know that might sound self-righteous, but it's not an earthly sincerity, Paul says. The sincerity that I had in my life, it was birthed by grace. It was birthed by the work of God's unmerited favor. There's a godly sincerity in my heart towards you, he says to the Corinthians church. And then, of course, in verse 14, he says, I, I boasted about you. Uh, Paul points to this boasting of God's work that he, that he, he boasts about the Corinthian church and what God is doing there as proof that he was sincere. Now, as we get into this, what's the issue? What's, what's going on? What is Paul being accused of that he's defending himself in this way? Well, you may remember that, the, that Paul had this relationship with the Corinthian church that was contentious. And I would say he was in the fire. He was being tested by fire on the hot seat. And as you go through the book of 2 Corinthians, as we make our way through it, what you're going to see is this, this, there's this sense of transparency and authenticity about Paul that he is writing with that's different from all his other writings. He's putting his heart on the table, you know, so to speak. His life and his ministry are under the microscope of the church and it's painful for him. You're going to get that sense as we go through this. Now it all started when he said, I'm coming to visit you. He stated at the end of first Corinthians, I've got this plan. I'm going to come through and I'm going to visit you. And his intentions had been pure, but God had other plans. And in the midst of all that had gone on, this church no longer trusted Paul or trusted their inten- his intentions towards them. They believed him to be fickle. They believed him to be a double-minded man. They believed that he wasn't true to his word. And as we make this uh, our way through this letter, we're going to see that this is just the first of a bunch of conflicts Paul's addressing. They're calling him fickle. Now, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week. Have you ever had your reputation slandered? You ever had someone accuse you, a friend accuse you of, or ask you about your sincerity? Question your sincerity? It's painful when that happens. But we need to follow the example of Paul who said, I live with simplicity and I live with a godly sincerity. My yes is yes and my no is no. But, you know, the the thing is you can do everything right You know, have you ever been in the spot where you've done everything right and then still been accused of some sort of fickleness or whatever? You know, I think of Jesus who chose the 12, but he said, one of them is a devil. (laughs) You never know what's in your relationships. But Paul says, on my part, I'll be simple and I'll be godly sincere. And so essentially he was, he was forced to defend himself against this, this church. So, you know, for the sports fans, they'll tell you what makes a good defense what makes a good defense? A strong offense, a good offense. So what we're going to see here is Paul go on the offense, okay? As he defends himself, what does he do? He teaches the church about ministry and what ministry can look like. Paul is on the offense and there are two things at the heart of ministry. Two things, compassion for people 
which we talked about in the first half of this chapter, really having compassion for people. When we're afflicted, God comforts us so that we can be a comfort to other people. But the second part of ministry is this confidence in God, compassion in people and confidence in God. Really, you know, yeah, yeah. In many ways, you know, the first half of this chapter dealt with the first part of ministry, having compassion for people. How does God develop his compassion, our compassion for people? Well, he can afflict us at times. Tozer said this before God could use a person greatly. He must allow that person to be hurt deeply. And so God comforts us in our affliction so that when we see others in affliction, we can be of comfort to them. And Paul said that his experience was so bad. The experience that led to him changing his plans that he despaired of life itself. It is though he had received the sentence of death, but that was to make him rely on God who raises the dead. Now the second half of this chapter, what we're about to dive into deals not with compassion for people, but it talks about confidence in God about confidence in God. That's why I called this message by faith. Stand firm. By faith, stand firm. You know, and I would ask this, is God worthy of our confidence? What is confidence? Well, the dictionary just defines it as a firm trust, the feeling or belief that one can rely on something or someone. Is that not God's plan for us that we would rely on him? Is he not worthy of our trust? And the answer is yes. But how do we go about confidently putting our trust in God? And that's what Paul's going to talk about. How do we put our trust in God? Now, before he gets there, he's going to talk about how his plan changed. And basically it comes to this. He says, God messed with my day timer. (laughs) You ever had God do that? You know, Lord does that. You know, Lord, I put that in my iPhone. I synced it with the iPad to my home computer and to the administrator and to my wife. I had a plan, Lord. Do you understand? You're messing with my day timer. (laughs) And that's what, you know, Paul's saying, you know, the Lord, the Lord just brought some things that were really inconvenient in regards to what I have planned. You know, and I was thinking about that, how the Lord messes with the day timer. But then, you know, he says, hey, remember, I'm developing you a, a heart of compassion for people. And so Paul says this in verse 16. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. I wanted, he says, but God screwed it up essentially. Okay. That's the idea here. Okay. He messed with my day timer. It was all synced. Paul could say, I I could show you my iPad, November 4th to 10th, Macedonia. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Athens, Wednesday, Sankria, Thursday to Saturday. It was you guys. You were in there. I had you in there and God messed with it. He had other plans and I nearly died. So call me a a promise breaker. Call me fickle. I I wanted to come to you, but God had other plans. Now verse 17 says, was it vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. So he says, was I, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Was I being tossed to and fro like some wave blown around? He says, no, I I, I never double talked. I was sincere. You know, Paul essentially compares his word against the nature of the world's word. 
See, the, the world is vacillating in its plans. How does the world make its plans according to the flesh? Can you uh, show me uh, that one scripture says, uh, why did spacious and road leading off the destruction? It's in Revelations. Is it in Revelations? Yeah. Well, Eagle, maybe we can talk about it after. Can we, we'll do it after, okay? We're not, I, I just want to show my friends that. Yeah, we'll do it after, okay, buddy? Could, could you do it with me? I can't, I can't do it right now because we're going, we're, going we're going through a, a text right now, okay? So we'll, we'll get through it after. So, so what does that mean? Well, if you grab a seat, we'll work through it, okay? No, what it means is that a lot of uh, uh, things are, are talked about and, and, and it should not be believed. Yeah, but we, we you and Eagle, we'll, we'll, we'll yap about it afterwards, okay, bud? Okay? I'm happy to talk with you after, okay? We won't do it right now. No, no, no. Wide and spacious is the road leading off to destruction. That's right. Narrow, narrow is the road, right? We're, gonna, we're talking about the narrow road. We're putting our, our hope in the word, man, and in Jesus Christ. Where did Jesus I, meet you? We, you and I were just talking about this before. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I, I'm, I'm listening. Yeah. Okay. You're welcome to stay, Eagle, okay? But we can't interrupt, okay, buddy? That's all. Thanks, guys, for your patience. We love them, right? I'm glad you're here, Eagle, okay? You know, the world makes its plans according to the flesh. That's what Paul says here. That's what he's saying. Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no in the same breath. You know, does the world ever do that to you? Move the goalposts? I was just thinking about the weatherman. Certainly, his yes, yes, and his no, no can't be trusted, can it? <laughs> You know, uh, you know, the weatherman is, the weatherman is always so smooth. You know, they always have the best personality being the weatherman. He smiles. He's funny. He does this and that. And the, he just leans on his personality because the reality is, is you can't trust the guy's word. You don't know what you're going to get or how it's going to play out as he predicts the weather. Or, you know, I think about other things that are, you know, on Friday, Lisa and I sent to the CRA for the third time this year, our income tax. Because they can't get this little issue straight. Nothing funny. It's like, seriously? Are we going through this again? I'm like, man, this world, moving the goalposts, can't think, figure things out. <laughs> you know, speaking of the CRA, I had a, an interesting conversation this week because we refer to the CRA as the Canada Revenue Agency, but there's another CRA that's referred to in legal matters amongst the government, and it's in uh, the Children of Family Services, and they call it Christian Ritual Abuse. Have you ever heard that term? Christian Ritual Abuse. That's a term they put on corporal punishment when they're training uh, adoptive uh, parents that are considering being, you know, having, having uh, adopted kids in their home. And uh, I, was, I was stunned. I mean, I know what the government teaches about such things, and I think it's good and it's right, but to label it Christian ritual abuse, I thought, that is sick, man. That is sick. And it reminded me, you know, that uh, uh, recently in Great Britain, I think it's within the last year, Christians are now no longer able to adopt children in Great Britain. Did you know that? Cannot adopt children. And when I heard Canada has defined this issue amongst family services as Christian ritual abuse, I thought, that is sick, man. I mean, I know there are people that take extremes, but we, you know, it is not what the scripture teaches or how God would define it. 
And you know, uh, folks, we, we live in a scary world and in scary times and things are going to change for us as the church. And you know, you think about England, I thought about this great history that they have. I'm reading the autobiography of, or the biography of George Mueller and the thousands of children that he raised in orphanages. And now the church is restricted and God's people are restricted in their ministry to the orphan in Great Britain. And it's a matter of time before it's clamped down on us. And I thought, the world moves its goalposts. But there's one who's faithful. The world says yes, yes, and no, no in the same breath. But God is faithful. And Paul says of that, you can be sure. In fact, a man who was not faithful, Balaam in the scripture said this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? See, God is faithful, says Paul. And as, as God is faithful, so we don't say yes when we may no. My yes means yes, he says to this church, and my no means no. What he's saying, I'm a man of integrity. I do not double talk, and I was sincere. Now, Paul's going to go on to explain this a little bit more, and it's going to help us get our heads around this. How does that kind of righteous life begin to come out of the life of Paul and in his ministry? And how does it come out in us and in our lives in ministry? Well, he says in verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. But in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now that's a, to me that's a packed few verses. It's loaded with stuff. I don't know if we can even scratch the surface with it in our time this morning. But what is the message that Paul proclaimed amongst the Corinthians? Well, he proclaimed the gospel. He proclaimed as what we see in the scripture for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. He proclaimed for the wages of sin is death, but the eternal gift of God is, or the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then he proclaimed the answer to man's sinful condition, the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, that this one man, Jesus, died for all that those who, might, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised to life. Paul proclaimed Christ and him crucified, the cross and the resurrection. And Paul preached that Christ and that church, the, the Christ and the church was born. It was the same message preached by Silas and it was the same message preached by Timothy. Paul says, my gospel is one you're well familiar with. I don't preach anything different than anybody else that you know to be faithful and true. And he points to Timothy and Silas. Now, what does Paul say mean when he says Jesus is the yes of God's promise to us? What Paul is talking about is a spiritual principle that governs his life and brings integrity to his speech. What he, is, what he is saying is this, call me fickle, call me late for dinner, call me whatever you want, whatever you like, but know this, I live my life with an absolute conviction as to the certainty of God's promises. What he is talking about is his confidence in the Lord as they make this accusation against him. 
Where does Paul put his confidence? He puts his confidence in the promises of God. And he says the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Which means God's promises to us, or the key to unlocking God's promises, is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. A relationship with Jesus is the key. God's promises in the Bible are unlocked as you come to those promises in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The promises find their yes in him. Now that means when we go to the pages of scripture, I mean, especially we should apply this to the Old Testament. When we come to the pages of scripture, we should look at every promise as pointing to the person of Lord Jesus Christ. Where's Jesus? Where is he in the text? You know, as it's been said, our Bible really teaches one theology, Jesus, Jesus. And so, you know, for a sake of example, let's just consider a few promises. Now there's thousands of them. I just wanted to grab a couple that were real to me this week. Uh, The first one I thought of was John chapter three, verse 36. It's going to come up on the screen there. Read it in my quiet time this week. It says this, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's a promise from God. How do I enter into that promise? Well, the promise is yes, happens in Jesus Christ. And so I place my faith in the son. I say amen in my heart an agreement with what God's word says and a transaction happens. God applies the promise to my life. Or consider John chapter 15, verse 7, which says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Is it a blank check from the Lord? Well, yes and no. I mean, there's condition. Abide in me. Abide in me. The vine. Let my words abide in you. Because the beauty is, is when we abide in Christ and when his word abides in us, we learn to ask the right things. We learn to ask with the values of the kingdom. And when we do, God answers those prayers. Sometimes it's a no. Sometimes it's a yes. Sometimes it's just a, it's coming. Just wait. But ask. That promise is applied to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we enter into the promise, the transaction happens and the promise finds fulfillment in our life. Or consider, I mean, this is my favorite. I think in all of scripture, it's one of my favorites. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, I enter into that promise through the person of Jesus Christ. That's how I get access to that promise. He's my savior. He's my Lord. And so I come through Jesus and I decide I'm not going to be anxious. I begin to take everything to the Lord in prayer. I let thanksgiving rise in my heart and this divine transaction happens. God takes my anxiety. He takes my worry and he replaces it with his peace that guards my heart and my mind. Maybe nothing changes about the situation except me, but God guards me. We enter into promises through Jesus And so Paul relates this idea to his argument. He says to to this accusation against him. He says, I live my life with absolute certainty of God's promises. God has proved himself faithful to me. That's what Paul's saying. 
And so I must be faithful in my relationship with other people. It's just how it is. God's faithful to me. I have to be faithful to other people. And so, you know, as we read here, Jesus is the yes of God's promises. And so as I come to God's promises through the person of Jesus and I say, amen, in my heart, that divine transaction happens and the promise is applied to my life. The, the power of the promise is imparted to me. And Paul is, is saying, look, I've said amen to Jesus. I've said amen to God's promises. And my character and my heart and my speech and the fruit of my life is being changed. And it's becoming more like Christ. And I am confident in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm laying hold of his promises. Oh, I'm afflicted. Oh, you accuse me. Oh, my day timer gets messed with. But I am laying hold of the person of Jesus Christ and the promises of the word that are imparted to me as I say, amen. And the purpose of it all is for the glory of God, Paul. Not for me, not for you, but for, for God's glory. See, the scripture tells us that God has highly exalted him, Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is confident in Jesus Christ and in God's word. You know, and so I would ask you, has your heart said amen to God's word? Has your heart said amen to God's word? Has your heart said amen to a great promise like John chapter 3 verse 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, I say amen to that promise. And the truth of that promise is imparted to us as we do. Eternal life is given to us as a gift. You know, the word amen is... Quite a remarkable word. It's actually been called probably the best known word in all languages of the world. Amen. It's directly taken from the Hebrew into Greek, into the Greek of the New Testament, into Latin, into English, into almost all, all sorts of languages. And the word is directly related to, or it, it, it has a, almost the identical meaning to the Hebrew word for believe, amam, amen. And so this, when I, when I say amen to a promise of God in my heart, I'm saying, this is sure. This is true. So be it, Lord. I believe this truth. I, I confidently take hold of it. See, we need God's word to strengthen its grip on our lives. And Paul says all of the promises of God, every single one of them, Genesis to Revelation, find their yes in Jesus Christ. And that is why we utter amen for the glory of God. See, the yes in that verse is the voice of Jesus, the voice of absolute authority, the voice of absolute assurance, but the amen is my voice. The amen is your voice, the voice of faith and the voice of obedience. See, the, the yes has to do with divine revelation, which is unshakable and immutable. God is not a man that he should lie. Cannot be shaken, cannot be moved. 
But the other has to do with me and taking God at his word and being faithful. Amen, God. I believe your promise. I believe your promise. Let me read to you Psalm 16. It says this. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my part. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen in pleasant places for me. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen, God. Amen. Amen. And so verse 21, Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and he says, and it is God who establishes us with you and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Oh, first he says, God's established us. He makes us firm. He makes us stand firm. He makes us sure. It's actually, to say established, it's a business term that refers to a guarantee. It's referring to the fulfillment of a contract that the product that is advertised will be delivered as promised. God delivers as promised. He's faithful. We can be confident. He who began a good work in you is going to finish it. Paul also says he's anointed us. That means that he's authorized us. He set us apart for a particular work or a, a service. The anointed person belongs to God in a special uh, sense. You know, you, you read of different characters in the scripture who were anointed. You see Saul having the oil poured on him or David or Jesus or even Solomon. Uh, but in the New Testament, all of Christ's disciples are said to have been anointed. We are set apart for, as God's very own for his purpose, commissioned for his service. Like a, like a priest or a king or a prophet of the Old Testament being anointed. So we have been anointed. In fact, the name Jesus, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Messiah is the Greek word for anointed or sorry, the Hebrew word for anointed and the Greek is Christ, which also means anointed. Jesus anointed. Jesus, the anointed one. That is his title. It's a description that's found of him in the, in the Psalms. He is the anointed of God. And so we're anointed. We're anointed with the, the spirit. Isn't that awesome? 
The power of the spirit bringing understanding. Not just for kings and priests and prophets of the Old Testament. But for all who are in Christ Jesus. For all who are in Christ Jesus. He anoints our hearts and our minds with the love and truth of God. Paul also says this, sealed. Not only will you be established and anointed, you're sealed in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we get the idea of a seal from those olden days. It's the, it's the mark of authenticity. It's the stamp of the king or whoever it was, whatever he was sealing. This seal is the mark of divine ownership. God has impressed upon our lives. And you know, the beauty of a seal is that the seal impresses its likeness upon that which is sealed. That's why Paul says, look, accuse me, but my yes is a yes and my no is a no. God is impressing his likeness on my life. There was a time when you couldn't trust my word, but now you can trust my word and everything that the Holy Spirit touches. Now, 2 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 21 and 22, I want to read it to you. I know we're going a little over time here, but I want to share something really cool with you. So let's check this out. We're going to flash it on the screen because it's in the NIV. I want you to see this in the NIV. It says, now it is God who makes both us and you to stand firm in Christ. He has anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts guaranteeing what is to come. Now the city of Corinth was ancient Greece's most important city of trade. Now there's a reason why, and we have something very similar on the Sunshine Coast, and so I know that you'll get this, and it's an amazing picture. We have this little town down the road that we're all glad that we live on this end of the coast called Seashell. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Seashell people. Us Gibsons people kind of have attitude against you. No, we love Seashell. But, you know, um, let me ask this. What does the name Seashell mean? Come on, you know. What does it mean? Somebody say it all out for me. Land between two waters. Land between two waters. Now, what's a geographical term for land between two waters? Not a peninsula. Isthmus. Isthmus. Now, just like Seashelt is this narrow strip of land. It's amazing. You know, sometimes you drive that little spot where they're building, where the native band waterfront homes are, and you drive over towards the inlet, and you're like, this is amazing. This little land bridge that exists, straight of Georgia on one side, the Seashelt Inlet on the other side. I mean, it's beautiful, right? It's, it's a pretty neat location. Well, picture the same thing in your mind because that's exactly what Corinth was. Corinth was this little ideally situated isthmus between the Aegean Sea and the Ionian Sea. One port faced to the west, one port faced to the east. And so in Corinth, you had the meeting of all the trade between the east and the west. If ships were coming from the east, come across that Aegean Sea into Corinth. Vice versa, coming from Rome, coming to Corinth. And so you got this neat trade happening. You know, you could unload your ship coming from the west, take it across the, the, the area there, load it up on another ship, and send it off. So major, major shipping hub. Livestock, slaves, meat, fruit, armies, all these different things. 
Now, Paul uses these three shipping metaphors for the city of trade in verse 22. He talks about a seal of ownership. He talks about a deposit, the spirit in our hearts. And he talks about a guarantee of what is to come. And what he is painting here is a picture of a trade that needs to happen in our lives. That God is working on for us. That we need to move from the world and the flesh to the life of the spirit and the work of God's glory. What does seashell mean? It means the land between two waters. And Jesus is our isthmus. See the picture? Jesus is the isthmus between the life of the spirit and the life of the flesh. Jesus is the bridge from the old life into the new life. And it happens at the cross. All of the promises of God find their yes in him. The transfer or trade that God is looking for, for you. And that he's looking for, for me is that I would trade this world and the works of my flesh for the life of the spirit and the work of God. And it happens at Christ Jesus. It happens as I lay hold of him. It happens as I say, amen to Jesus and the promises of God. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus Christ is our bridge. The cross, our land bridge, our isthmus, taking us from that life of the flesh to the work of the spirit. And Paul says this, I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. Now we're going to get into more of this in weeks to come. There's lots of stuff happening in Corinth. He's bringing, bringing some authority and some judgment. You know, Paul's saying, look, I'm, I'm willing to judge like Jesus. I'm willing to judge. I'll judge. Jesus is going to judge. But there's a time of mercy before judgment. And Paul, so Paul says, look, I refrained. I could bring the thunder. But I decided not to come. And it was an act of mercy. It was an act of mercy in effect, you know, Paul is saying that ultimately God had a reason for him not coming to Corinth. And we talked about this all last week, you know, talking about being afflicted and comforted by, see, God always has a reason. He's always working out a purpose for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. For the Corinth, Corinthians, I would say this, you know, they needed to learn to stand on their own two feet. You know, Paul, Paul was almost being removed from their situation. And it's like, you know, you need to stop relying on me for your Christian strength and character. The prop has got to be removed. You know that God always removes the props. <laughs> he always removes the props that stop you from standing on your own two feet. You know, it's hard, but it, he actually does it. And it's an act of mercy. You know, I could, I could tell you my own testimony this morning. And I could tell you that there was, a time when God propped me up with all sorts of things and people. And then one by one, he began to kick those props out. And I'm like, whoa, I got to stand on my own here. And sometimes it's people that you look up to or admire or set on a pedestal. Sometimes it's a church. Sometimes it's, it could be all sorts of things, but God will remove props so that you learn to stand on your own and be confident in him. And so Paul says, you know, I, I refrain from coming to you. Verse 24, we'll wrap up right here. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work for you or we work with you for your joy, for you 
to stand firm in faith. I love that about Paul. You know, here he is. He's this apostle. He says, man, it's not my gig, man. It's not my game. I'm not going to lord over your faith. It's your faith. You need to stand on your own. I'm going to work for your joy. I'm going to work for your benefit. I'm going to work so that you learn to stand on your own. But that's my prayer, that you would stand firm in your faith, having confidence in God. You know, if I could encourage you this week, lay hold of the promises of God. As you're in the word of God and reading his word, say amen in your heart. And God will begin to bring the fruit and the, of, of that promise in your life. He'll begin to work in outward righteousness because something's happening on the inside in your heart. Marcus, come on up here and we'll pray. We're going to have communion this morning. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts for communion. Lord Jesus, to you, we say amen this morning. We say amen, Lord, that you are our land bridge. Lord, you are, you, Jesus, are the way by which we came out of the life of this world into the life of the spirit. And Jesus, you've done that in the work of salvation for, I hope, everyone here. But Lord, you're doing that in many other areas of our lives too. You're longing to bring, to crucify the flesh, to, to put it to death and to bring forth the life and work of the spirit. And so to you, Jesus, this morning, we simply say amen. We, we let our hearts agree with you. And I pray, God, that you would fill our hearts with faith. I pray, God, that you would help us to stand firm in faith. I pray, God, that as we ponder these things and consider them, that your word would just strengthen its grip on our heart. Because we know as your word strengthens its grip, the relationship with Jesus deepens. Lord, we pray that even as we participate in communion this morning, as we celebrate your death and resurrection, we, we pray, Jesus, that, that that inward profession and agreement of our heart would would just work its way to the outside. Lord, we all got our stuff. And Lord, as we remember the cross this morning, we just bring that to you, Lord. Everybody's got whatever the issue is that comes to mind when we say stuff. We bring that to you this morning. It's sin, God. We repent. Would you forgive us? We say amen to you, Jesus. We, we, we admit, Lord, that we are sinful and fallen short. We recognize that the wages of our sin is death. But Lord, we thank you that in you is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so this morning, Lord, may our hearts say amen to Jesus. And may you, Jesus, by the work of your spirit, work for our transformation and our good that we would learn to stand, Lord. In our stuff, God, may we stand and honor you. And so, Jesus, to you we say, to your promises we say amen. We believe, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name. Today, just as, as you prep your heart, these guys are going to lead us in a song, and then you just come forward as you feel ready. Grab a cup which represents the blood of the Lord and the bread, which represents his body that was broken. I apologize for keeping you long today, but we want to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's good. And as we do, the Lord imparts to us the life of Christ.
And so as your heart's prepared, you, you come forward.